0: Welcome to the Future Ancients podcast. My name is Luca Lesson. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my patrons, those legendary human beings who are supporting me via my Patreon page, which is Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Luca Lesson, L-U-K-A-L-E-S-S-O-N. And basically that process means that there are people on there that are donating a small amount of their income once a month to help me proceed with my creativity with creating things in these strange and wonderful COVID times oh my goodness we are in for the long haul it looks like and I'm so lucky to have so many people that are willing to support me during this process I currently have 119 patrons which is incredible and it looks like we're going to hit my first target of 120 fairly soon and that will take me closer to being a full-time patreon artist at the moment i'm probably about a quarter of my income is coming from patreon so i'm looking to get to 400 patrons eventually and once i get there i can be full-time creating without any need for any support from any other um, type of income. I can just create with your support full time, which would be a dream. And I believe that we're going to get there together. If you'd like to make a donation and become a patron, just go to my Patreon page and you will be able to choose the amount that you would like to support with. And we will be forever grateful, that's for sure. So this episode of the podcast is with a complete legend of a man, someone that I met while I was teaching at a school, doing a residency at a school in Sydney, and he happened to be visiting the same school, giving a talk to young First Nations boys at that school um, at the same time. And so we got to cross paths after kind of being fans of each other's work for a little while. And I was lucky enough to, to slip into his busy schedule and, and record this podcast recently. His name is Joe Williams. He is a proud Wiradjuri and Walgalu man from Kara, born in Cara and raised in Wagga. And he played football rugby league for the South City Rabbitohs, Penrith Panthers, Canterbury Bulldogs before switching to professional boxing and experiencing success there as well. During this whole time though, he was experiencing suicidal ideation and bipolar disorder. So he had a suicide attempt in 2012 and after that, he really switched up his purpose and decided to start helping people who also struggle with mental ill health. And he eventually wrote a book called Defying the Enemy Within and that book and basically his life's work now is based around helping people get through struggles of adversities to produce and develop um, stockpiles of resilience to overcome feelings of addiction and to reconnect with uh, each other with ourselves and being a first nations man again um, to country most importantly I think Our conversation revolved around that process. We talked a lot about connection to nature. We talked about mental ill health. We talked about a lot of different aspects of his work, his personal life, and how we can build with each other moving forward as human beings on an individual level and as a society. Joe is a really inspiring guy. And one of the most inspiring things about him, I think, and one of the things that I really value in other men particularly is that ability to be vulnerable that ability to be completely an open book and raw and honest and to not talk around the elephant in the room but to just go for it and to just speak up and be straight up and true and honest with the people that you're interacting with and he's definitely that he's vulnerable he is honest and most importantly i think he is completely authentic so i really hope you enjoyed this episode at the end of this episode i've recorded a poem And I hope you enjoy that as well. It's called Stereotype. But please, for now, enjoy this episode with the great Joe Williams. Mr. Joe Williams, welcome to the Future Ancients podcast, brother. It's good to have you.
1: Hey, brother, we've been uh, trying to lock this down for a little bit now and it's it's good to connect uh, virtually, but uh, you know, w- whether it be over the phone, by the net, uh, in person, it's always, it's always good to connect with like-minded people.
0: Yeah man, especially in these times, I feel like it's been, even though everyone's being virtual, you know, the crazy world that is the internet at the moment uh, gets a little bit less crazy when I see, you know, your posts and, you know, just good, good people doing good things around the world and you know putting them online and trying to put some love in amongst all that toxic energy that, that's yeah <laughs> the madness bro you know,
1: that's, that's one of the things like with with social media people say that it can be destructive and and it can be fairly negative for some people but you are in control of who you get to follow you know yeah. so if, if you follow you know negative and destructive and toxic people then it's gonna have the effect on you so um, yeah. you know it's always good to uh, connect with people that are that are in the same space of just trying to empower um, you know bring different light and and you know positivity to to so many different aspect of community
0: mm. and you've been out on country the last week or so you were saying
1: i have man you know like um you know for me being someone who's uh, fairly manically busy, and then you know, busy physically, but also manically busy upstairs in my own head. You know, it's um, it always seems to happen at the right time. You know, I just trust the old people, the ancestors, that um, when I need a rest, I I make sure I listen to them, and um, mm. it happens at all the perfect times that that you know I'm I'm starting to bottom out a little bit when my cup's emptying out and it's magically that that cultural time that I've got to be out on country gets locked away, which mm. you now is, is no coincidence in my eyes.
0: Yeah. So where, where were you? You were saying Northern New South Wales is home for you.
1: Yeah. I was up in, uh, I, I live in Western New South Wales. So at the moment I'm, I live in, on Wiradjuri country and in, in, uh, out in Dubbo. Um, Wiradjuri boy, born in Cow, raised in Wagga, but uh, and ended up, ended up here in Dubbo. So, um, with a with a I guess a ten year period of down in the city in between, but uh, I've always ventured back to my home turf of Radri country. And um, but on the you know last week I was up, you know, with a a fairly special elder up um, at his property. Um, we're doing some cultural burning and uh, just sitting some and listening to some beautiful story and. And, you know, connecting to those stories, but also some, some fairly significant sites of the area as well. So,
0: um,
1: you know, that that stuff for me, um, and it makes sense to my story, why it makes me so well is that, you know, that same elder, you know, I, I, I refer to him a hell of a lot, um, John Paul Gordon. Um, and, you know, he said to me around a fire one night, he said, you're not mentally ill. I don't care what the doctors do yet. Um, you're spiritually ill and, and as soon as you heal your spirit, that's when you get well mm. uh, and you heal your spirit on country. Um, yeah. And it was, and he was right, you know, like, like I feel myself every time I start to, as I said, flatten out or, or, or empty that cup um, spiritually. I, I get back to doing the most simple things um, culturally and those most simple things are the things that are most effective for me spiritually.
0: Hmm. And I feel so much of what's wrong with the world at the moment can be healed through country, you know, and and I, when I'm in Greece in my grandfather's village, you know, like a, something I can't explain, I can't explain. And I, and I do get, you know, the people that live on this country that's now called Australia. Also, we benefit from the energies and the goodness that is, you know, this beautiful nation, this beautiful country, the nature here is, is healing. Um, And I would say that being from a Greek background, when I'm in Greece and when I'm in the village and when I'm speaking my language and I'm connecting with my culture, there's another layer of spiritual healing that I get to experience as well. And so much of what's wrong, I think, with today's world is that we're destroying that. Like it's become a commodity. We're using it to bottle it up and sell it, whether it's being sold as coal or being sold as gas or being sold as, you know, the water's being sold out of the land or whatever it is. And more and more we see this connection with land being rare. And when I've traveled around the world, you know, I've been in Beijing, there's 25 million people in Beijing, the same as Australia in one city. Um, and there's such a disconnect from, from country. There's such a disconnect from nature that you can, you can see the ill health happening um, and we can see it in Australia too. But all over the planet, there's just this disconnection from, from land, from nature. And again and again, that, that is manifesting as what's being called mental health or, or mental illness. And so instead of reconnecting the country, protecting our nature, being sustainable on, with, with our you know, natural resources, we, we take ourselves away from nature. We live in an apartment block in the middle of a massive city. And when we have a mental illness, we, we take a pill and that's meant to, that's meant to fix it all. You
1: know and and they they call the sick ones crazy, right right <laughs> like, like yeah. that that analogy that you just gave me is one of the most insane things I've ever heard
0: yeah and then and the sane ones are the ones that are okay with living somehow disconnected to nature on top of each other amongst in little that. shoe boxes amongst yeah. that and and somehow being normal amongst all of that craziness in itself, the system in itself being crazy,
1: you know that plays to not even the fact that we, that we're selling off physical elements of the country, we're, we're selling off our elements personally with our own time. You know, when the old saying time is money, um, you know, and when you, when mm. you, when you're out on country and, and as a, as a first nation, man, when, but the, there was no concept of time, mm. you no know, time only was, was was introduced when it would come time to working for free as slavery, you know, yeah. um, no, it's not time to have a drink. No, it's not time to have your lunch, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, so I just, I, I feel there's so much healing in stripping back to what it was that our, our old people used to do, mm. you know, because if, if, if what they did work, then what we're doing now is not working, you know, and yeah. it's, it's evident in the way that we're living, like yeah. everything that you just described, about living on top of each other in shoeboxes in massive cities. And then, you know, we go out and, and party all weekend and put other substance into our body that completely wipes it, our mind frame from this, this, mm. you know, this life of, of what we seem or supposed mm. to be real mm. uh, adding substance to our mind takes us away from reality. Mm. You know? so- and, it,
0: and it seems counterproductive, productive, I guess, but to you, and in your history, do you, did you feel like, even though it was, it was slowly, I guess, destroying you, do you feel, do you feel like in some ways the substances were kind of, kind of like a survival mechanism for you to kind of wipe out the last week that happened to start again rather than have to live with it kind of perpetually to kind of press the reset button every weekend?
1: No, it wasn't, it wasn't like that for me. You know, it's, it's well documented that, that I speak openly about my, my past addictions and recovering alcoholic and addict. Um, and been, you know, almost sober now, 15 years, not as, uh, not as long as that clean from drugs. Um, But, you know, the, the insanity of, of an addict's mind uh, convinced me that I needed cannabis medicinally. Um, And, you know, I, I convinced myself into having a joint one (laughs) night because I, I believe that I needed it medicinally to, to, or that it was okay. You know, Um, as I said, the, 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 the mind of an addict um, will, is cunning and powerful, right? Mm. But, you know, for me it was it was using substance and the story that, that I use a lot is that substance quietened down the noise that was going on inside my head and it, right. was, it was an escape. It was, it was an escape from that. What was my reality? Um, which was some fairly horrific... Dialogue that was happening inside my head uh, on the back of some concussions, so uh, right. severe head trauma that you know rattles around with the brain and, and chemistry, and 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 all the research now points to uh, severe head trauma and repetitive head trauma uh, can cause mental health issues, mm-hmm. and mental health problems, and, and brain traumas. Right. So for me, you you look at my life as as a as a young halfback. Uh, you know, a smaller guy on the rugby league field playing against older guys from a young age. Um, I was playing first grade footy at 14, you know, so I was playing against men at the age of 14 constantly. And, and the 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 initiation test of rugby league back in those days, you know, 25-odd 20, years ago was, 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 wasn't about, you know, uh, if, he's, if he's good enough to be out here or if he's old enough to be out here, Let's see if he's tough enough to be out here, you know. So it was as a young bloke, I copped all sorts of head knocks, and that was just the, as I said, the initiation test of being out there with the men. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you're good enough to be out there, you're old enough, and you've got to be tough enough. Um, so I copped all sorts of head knocks uh, as a, as a young bloke playing rugby league, and then coming through the grades playing in the NRL, and then retiring from the NRL to become a boxer. You know, you look at my head; it's it's, it's pretty messed up <laughs> when it comes to you know, significant impacts of my brain inside, you know, this relatively small skull.
0: Mm. And so drugs or whatever, whatever the things escape. you get addicted to.
1: Yeah, it was the escape. It was, escape. It was yeah, I, I put as much substance into my body to completely wipe me from right. this reality, you know? So I would have as much as I possibly could so I didn't have to deal with, what was going on inside my head.
0: Yeah, man, I, I worry about that and what's going on today with COVID and what's going on today with isolation, people being isolated with what's going on today and, and you know, the high suicide rates Australia already is experiencing before this came about. I saw a report recently saying that some, some experts are uh, touting that the, the real killer of COVID is actually going to be suicide or overdose that more people are going to die during this period from that because of the side effect of not having um, money, not having a, a you know, future that can really be predicted, the un- unpredictability of what's going on, of where we're heading. Um, all these factors are, are tying into to mental health in this country at the moment. And even though the fear is all around this virus, Actually, the lack of support for people on a day to day basis, uh, along with substance abuse and and depression um, may end up being a bigger killer than than the virus itself. Have you had any conversations about that yet?
1: It's horrific, you know, and I had conversation with 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 a friend uh, just recently um, over a post that was on social media and, um, you know, the post read this week is week 13 since the lockdown in March. 1,000 people in Australia have died by suicide that you don't hear about on the news. That's 76 people a week more yeah. than COVID. You know, like...
0: 76, 76 people a week more than COVID. More
1: than COVID. Wow. You know, and yet we, we don't shut down the economy for oh. that. You know, we people aren't losing jobs over that. You know, people are losing jobs over, you know, I guess... Uh, a very, uh, a very mysterious illness that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, have, you know, there's uh, the conspiracies around it, but, you know, the the flu has killed more people than COVID this year, you know? So,
0: yeah, the arguments to that, usually they head towards, yes, but if we hadn't have shut down, it would have done worse. There's always, there's always these counter arguments, but I completely understand what you're saying. And in many ways, I completely (laughs) agree with what you're saying. That look of like, hang on a minute. (laughs) Um, I saw somebody put up online that, that um, now that we know COVID kills people, um, shouldn't it be that if we see somebody who's not wearing a mask, they should be charged with terrorism because they're willfully terrorizing their neighborhoods with disease. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) Like, There's the extremities
1: mm. There's the extremities of it obviously but but then you know, i said yeah uh, but then
0: heart disease kills way more people on general it's the biggest killer in the world so if somebody turns up to a kids party with party pies and Chico rolls should you charge them with terrorism it exactly kills more what? people like like, like you know, when
1: like, you know a good friend of mine she's one of my best mates mate. she's she's in the you know the whole holistic uh health and well-being space um you know, and, and, and whilst, you know, she doesn't discount the fact that COVID is a, is a serious issue, um, which it is in a lot of communities, um, you know, she, she she hammers on more about let's boost our immune system, 100%. you know, so we, so we don't get sick, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, if we do get this illness, let's make sure that we're equipped uh, with our immune system wise
0: um, to be able to fight it off. 100%, I mean, and think about it, like, why are our immune systems even low in the first place? Like, there's no doubt viruses have been around for many years, you know, like we've, there's been experience of viruses for, you know, hundreds of years, I guess, possibly more. Um, But what lowers our immunity? Fear lowers our immunity. Shit food lowers our immunity. Lack of vitamin D, lack of vitamin C lack of direct sources of nutrition and the fact that in many communities the healthy food is the most expensive food so people in poor situations have to buy the shit in order to stay alive and that means you're eating more chips and drinking more coca-cola than you are eating healthy food any time of the day and then when
1: you look at it, look at the communities the first nation communities in in remote Australia. Oh man, like, it's crazy! Like, it's horrendous how I, much do money know, do they
0: have man? to pay just to get some some decent oh, food. Oh man! First time I went to Borolula was two thousand and two or three, three, and I I couldn't believe it. We were at the the local shop and a lettuce back then was like twelve dollars, but a a cup of shitty chicken nuggets, which isn't even chicken, um, it's like cup two dollars. You know what I mean? Or- Cal- yeah, Deep-fried cardboard. Deep-fried cardboard. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't believe it then. And, and, and it's and nothing has changed, really, if anything, it's gotten worse. I saw the same thing in Man and Green and not too long ago. And, and, and the same story. And I, I recently read an article about a community in WA, I can't remember exactly where, where the government owns the store in the community. And the prices for the food in that store are like triple what they would cost in, in Perth. So then, so then locals take the, the card that has money on it from the government. Half of that card has to be used at this particular shop, but they charge triple. So then they get that money back even quicker than when they give it. It, it, it's, uh,
1: it begs the question, does the government really want to close the gap? No. <laughs> you know, when, when it comes to close the no. gap, People, a lot of people think, and for listeners, a lot of people, people think that Close the Gap is about closing the gap between non-Indigenous Australia and First Nation Australia. No, that's not what Closing the Gap was about. Closing the Gap was about health rates, you know, life expectancy, um, closing the gap between non-Indigenous and, and First Nation people's health rates rather than you know, the, 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 the racism that we see or the indifference that we see of opinion uh, in community. It's about helping people to be on a level playing field. It, yeah. it honestly, like I sit back sometimes and I go, you know what? Aboriginal people are a business. We make oh, a man. shitload of people rich. You
0: know? I, can't, so like, I can't even why, imagine why how earth? frustrating it must be for you. Uh, why
1: on earth would why on earth would the government want us to be well? Why on earth would the government want us no. to be self-empowered? You know, no. like, it just, it, it makes no sense. In the end, in any
0: situation of, de- of this kind of conversation around you know, creative cultural development, community development work, blah, 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 anyone that enters into a space and that is going to be there for a period of time, if they're not working towards putting themselves out of a job and bringing members of community into that job, then they're not actually working towards sustainable change.
1: I, I've said it, and you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to be co winner of the Australian Mental Health Prize last year with Christine Morgan, and it was presented by the Prime Minister. And, and, and you know, when, when with my acceptance speech, I, I, I got up there and said, my, my ideal goal is to work myself out of a job. 100%. So I don't have to be in community talking about mental health breaks, I don't have to be in community talking about suicides, yeah. I don't have to be in community trying, trying to, to, to empower people um with with these type of you know life decisions you know we don't want to be in this situation i don't i don't want to be in this job and you know that's
0: for sure yeah but when it becomes an industry and whether it's a sinister white supremacist racist intention or not and that can be argued and i think that there is a there is that does exist but does it exist across the board and is every single person involved thinking in that way and it is is it some you know um, sinister mafia that goes on in its in its processes. With that in mind, a hundred percent all of the time. I'm not one hundred percent sure about that. I'm not sold on that.
1: No, no. no. But no. I do I think, think there's a
0: hell of a lot of people that that want to see good in community. Yes, but but these systems themselves, when they when they get set up and become an industry, they can't they can't work to towards you know self. Um, demolition you know they can't work, work towards you know building working themselves out of a job when i like a you know same example but when i did first go to boralilla every single job of power every single position of power in that community was held by a white person and if it was held by a black person it was ticking a box of having an aboriginal person in that role but usually that aboriginal person was not from that community they were from another community so they could still kind of toe the line of what white fellows in that community wanted without getting involved with the politics and and the the movement of people on the ground um, and you know that seems to be i, I mean save for um, my experience of visiting Managreator which was different because Alice's mum our mutual friend Alice who passed away her, her mum was very strong. Helen was very strong in, in moving things forward in her position um, in that community and, in, and all across that, that part of Australia. But, you know, and there's def- definitely communities, you know, that are different. But for the most part, if there's non-Aboriginal people in communities that are not working towards putting themselves out of a job and making that community autonomous and able to make its own decisions... Then yeah, it does seem like white supremacy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know. And
1: and people people have, uh, I guess set a separate topic, but people have the ideology of white supremacy wrong as well. Mm. Is that people think that you know white supremacy is just is about racism and about you know. But it's the, the ideology that that where white supremacy started was about seeing the race of white people more supreme than anyone else hmm. you know or above anyone else that's what you know the, the the i guess the the meaning behind what white supremacy is and people think oh it's you know that's just extreme racism no no, no. It's, it's it's a hell of a lot deeper than that it's a it's a genetic conditioning of thought process that makes people genuinely believe that they are above Um, And, you know, we we see it. We see it with with systems, you know, right across the country.
0: Mm. And I think it's really important to to also separate the difference for me and what I've been learning and, and seeing over the years between white people and whiteness. So a lot of people get offended when we talk about whiteness or white supremacy or white racism or whatever that might be. Privilege.
1: People get offended by the word privilege.
0: Yeah, it's super funny. It doesn't like to me, it doesn't I like I in no way put every single white person in existence on the planet in the same box as whiteness or white supremacy. It never means the same thing for me. To me, whiteness is the mafia. It is that. Idea, ideology in practice the ideology that white people are better than the rest of the world in practice and many people in positions of power don't think to themselves i'm being racist in this moment don't think to themselves oh, i'm only going to give that job to a white person but when all the other cvs and resumes come on the table and they all have you know different last names and degrees from different parts of the world and they just feel more comfortable giving it to the guy named john smith that is an act of whiteness. That is an act of, of a mafia, of basically saying, well, I'm only going to give it to people that I feel comfortable around and not yeah, pushing I'm, the limits.
1: I also believe it's, it's uh, the conversation around bias and, and conscious and unconscious bias. Mm. You know, when, when, when you know, that, that situation occurs, sometimes people frame their conversation or their wording without even knowing that they have bias to what yeah. they're talking about. You know, and that's that on unconscious stuff. Uh, and then there's the blatant, straight out, you know, conscious of, um, you know, people yeah. that, that, that the know what racism.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that shit is, and like Martin Luther King and many other people have said, that's better. Because then we know. It's like, thank you for calling we me. You know where we stand then. Yeah. It's like, thank you for calling me what you really think of me. Awesome. Now we know where we stand. Cool. I'm, you know, I'm not going to hang with you. I'm not going to buy food at your business. I'm not going to support anything that you putting out in the world. You know, like we know, we know where we're at. Cool. But when people are either covert and quiet about it, or they don't even know that they have these biases, they can't even self reflect enough to think, oh, that joke was racist or this decision I made was racist or the way I treated this person was racist, or I didn't even realize that I decided to serve this person last, even though they've been waiting for ages. Just because subconsciously I realized that they were a different color to me and, and I just wanted to serve the other people first, not even knowing why I did that.
1: See, I think those people can be changed. Yeah. I think those people can be changed. And I've, and I've had uh, a fair amount of success with doing that. Tell me about man. How? Tell, you, tell, you know, how do you measure that success? <laughs> success is a big word, right? But um, a, a good friend of mine now, she's one of my closest friends now, right? Um, and I won't mention a name, but we're from the same town. Um, and I've spoken about it uh, on different podcasts before. But back in 2017, when I got the, uh, the the Australia Citizen of the Year 2016, I don't know if they gave it in January 2017 or it was in sixteen. I don't know. Um, back then, you know, the, and it was around the decision of, the, the abuse that I copped at the time was around the decision of not, want, not standing up for the national anthem, right? So, um, and the amount of hate I got online after that, and the, the you know the following days from that was incredible, right? And there was this one girl who was from from the town that I was that I lived, um, and she was always questioning me, always questioning my own things. And like most people, I'll always give them my uh, opinion. Right. Whether, you know, right. Or, you know, I, I won't engage in, uh, arguments or, or people who just flatly, you know, try and be racist. Yeah. I, you could tell she tiny. actually wanted to know to well, a certain extent. Well, you could tell that she didn't know. She didn't know the difference. So yeah. I just fed a couple of lines and, and then it was, you know, there was more, yeah, but what about this? And then what about that? And then I gave reasons reasons again. And, and it was like, I'm stumping you every single time. What are you going to learn? Right. But, but she slowly started to come around to the point now, you know, she's in a position of, of educating those in her circle, yeah. you know, whether it be, you know, whether it be direct family or friends and, yeah. and, and, and she's now a fairly fierce advocate when it comes to this stuff um, mm. for first nation people, because she gets it now, she understands now. And, and, and it was, and it was, you know, Back in 2000, and people say, you know, where do you see the change? How do you measure the change? Um, It was back in 2016, 17, that those sort of conversations were happening. Now, she's ringing me frustrated because she her friends don't get it. Mm. I'm like, hang on a minute. That was me three years ago. Welcome to the club. And she goes, yeah. And she's like, now I get it. You know, now I understand. Well, she's trying to have these conversations with those in her circle Mm. as well. So, um that's they're the little wins, you know I, I, yeah. I, and 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 the fact that you know the these conversations are still ongoing, and these conversations uh little by little i I believe and i said it I said it in my speech back then in two thousand sixteen I, I do believe we're headed in the right direction we're not there yet, Nowhere we're near there yet, but we're headed in the right direction and uh-huh. fast forward three years where I was ridiculed, abused, like you wouldn't believe in Wagga for for not standing up for the national anthem. Um, Fast forward three years to 2020, the Black Lives Matter march in Wagga that I pulled together in three days. Yeah. And there was nearly 2,000 people there, 85% of them non-Indigenous people. Wow. Right? So you have a look at, there would have been 10% 10% people going, you know what, Joe, I never, ever heard that perspective of the national anthem before. I never, ever knew that that was a song written by a Scotsman about England that has five verses that no one else has ever read. Yeah. You know, people didn't know that. Um, and that 10% now has grown massively in that community, right? To the point where I say that I believe that Wagga is the most progressive community that I've been in, in, in the entire country. Yeah. Um, you know, to around a Black Lives Matter march that we had, you know, there a couple of months ago, 85% of the people were not Indigenous. You know, there's only 2,000 people there. Um, the Wagga mayor was on board. The Wagga police were on board. The wow. Wagga wow. local member was on board. They were all marching with us. Wow.
0: You know, um,
1: so, so, so for me, like and people for those, say... For
0: those who are listening to this <laughs> <laughs> and don't know what, um, you know rural or country Australia is like that's huge for a police well, it's, department it's, to even be on board for that yeah, like that's yeah. like they, a, you would expect them to have had an education that would not lead them anywhere near being able right. to, to to understand or, or that's
1: right them. and and if people remember earlier that day Wagga Wagga is a country New South Wales um town right if people remember earlier uh, so it was the the night before. There was um, the Premier was on on the national news saying that the Sydney rally had now been deemed an illegal protest, right? Yeah. Which then they went to court. Uh, you know, we now know that they went to court and then got that turned over. Yeah. Um, so that it was allowed. But so everyone was ringing me, going, "Joe, is the Wagga one still going ahead? We heard that they're all cancelled. And I was straight on the phone to the police, and the police were like, "You know what, Joe? We're going to play by ear as far as if if we don't get." word to say that it's not happening then we're on you know yeah. like like we're going ahead as business as usual at the moment we're here to support you um you know we're about this as well and 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 again fuck man that's so amazing you know it's huge but but what people are got to have to understand as well is that you know what is a different place right is that i couldn't shout from the rooftops that all police are bad i couldn't shout from no. the rooftops about uh, police brutality in Wagga because I didn't see it. I I haven't seen it. I haven't witnessed it in Wagga. Um, I'm 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 sure that it that it probably is there without doubt. But um, to me and to the experiences of the people of Wagga at the time, that the police have always been welcoming. the the local member you know has has who was a doctor you know so the first person to to say if if it was an issue with COVID he would have been the first one to say it, you know, he was a doctor and he was there marching with us in the front line, you know? So um, I see that. Another example I see about the country moving forward is back in 2000, the year 2000, when Kathy Freeman ran with the Aboriginal flag for the Olympics, when she won the gold medal, you know, certain members of the Australian Olympic committee almost had heart conniptions. Um, Fast forward to the Commonwealth games opening ceremony in Melbourne and the entire opening ceremony is about Aboriginal culture. Yeah. You know? So, so in, in, in well, a, even, in, in even comparing
0: the last Commonwealth Games in Australia and the protests that went on during that, you know, compared to the, this Commonwealth Games in Australia, and and yeah. and, and I understand that there were still protests outside, and I support that as well. I think no, there needs 100%, to be both. Hundred
1: percent. percent. I get that, and I support that, and and protesting the Commonwealth. One hundred percent. I'm about that as well. Um, because, you know, we are sovereign people, you know, over 500 separate individual nations, um, sovereign people within within this country. So I, I, I get that and I understood that. But, you know, what I was saying to the, the, uh, the wider audience who say that we aren't moving forward, I believe at snail pace, we are. You know, it, it it don't have to be it <laughs> yeah. don't have to be at a rate of knots, man. You know, yeah, we've 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 had and we've been in this fight for two hundred and thirty years. The amount of change that I've seen personally in the past fifteen, in the past yeah. ten, in the past five years, so totally. has been huge.
0: It has been huge, man. Even now, I and I, I wasn't, you know, and I only came to this as an, as an adult kind of thing, you know, like I only, I, I graduated high school. I went to an, uh, I did an arts degree. I sat in my first anthropology class or indigenous studies class. And I just went, Holy fuck. They didn't teach us shit. Did they, <laughs> you know, like I just sat there and just went, yeah, my, my schooling is has been 10% of what I need to know. I'm just going to stick around and learn as much as I fucking can. So even coming from at a later stage in life, you know, year 2000, I'd say is probably when I first um, started waking up, even though when I was in high school, actually, I shared this story online recently. I was in high school and in my legal studies class in year 12, my teacher provoked us and said, um, asked us, you know, if the government was to apologize, you know, should the government apologize for the stolen generations? Yes or no? This is in 1999. And I was the only person in my class who said yes. No other student in my class thought that it was a good idea to say yes, including the teacher. The teacher also said that they should not apologize for the stolen generations. They shouldn't do it because of legal ramifications, because it's not our fault, because we didn't do it, because it's over, it's in the past, all the usual bullshit, you know, things that people say. And I was just like, what are you talking about? What the fuck's wrong with apologizing? Like, how is that... Going to impact anybody adversely. If I met somebody that had survived the Holocaust and all of their family had been killed or, or taken from them, I just feel like I'm so sorry for what you've been through. It's <laughs> not, not hard, is it's it? not hard, and it's, it's, it actually helps us all rise above the bullshit. People think that if you apologize, somehow you're diminished and other people are put above you. You're but when guilty. when you apologize, we all gain our dignity together. Yeah. And and I just can't, I still can't fathom how people argued against that. And then, and then, you know, a number of years later, there was an apology to the stolen generations and it was healing. And even though it didn't, hold in terms of the actions that the governments take. It wasn't the end of that kind of activity, but it was a moment that was, I was in Canberra, I was on the grass outside of parliament. There were thousands upon thousands of people there from all different backgrounds, waving Aboriginal flags. And it was a really powerful moment.
1: I was, I was, um, was planning the NRL at the time and um, I just finished playing in planning the NRL, but I was living in Penrith and uh, my ex-wife's grandmother was stolen and she was sitting on, on our lounge. Um, uh, and no, 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 she wasn't sorry. Her daughter, her daughter was. So it was, um, my ex-wife's grandmother was stolen and -hmm. her daughter was sitting there. So, and Mm -hmm. so the grand, the granddaughter and the daughter were sitting there and, and and they were just in, in tears, you know, Mm -hmm. because it was just, it was a real moment for, for Aboriginal people to think that, you know, this is some massive, massive progress. Um, what's happened since, um, you know, can be, can be questioned without doubt. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm not gonna for one minute sit here and say that the apology fixed everything, because it hasn't, um, you know, when, when it, you know, so it's, I mean, it's one of those things that we're gonna keep growing as a country yeah. and then just keep being aware of these sort of things and, and, the, and the impact you know, so yeah. I talk about I a
0: think, lot the I impact think, of man, that, and you're and you're a prime example. And and I guess we have similar stories because we go into especially education centers and we're talking to young people and we're seeing you know light bulbs go off. And and over the course of I've been doing workshops in schools now for like fourteen years, and every every line of poetry, every moment of vulnerability, every moment of honesty is a step in the right direction. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of us, especially people that have come to activism kind of late um, or have come to it, you know, quite recently or whatever it might be. They seem to think that if they just push for this week or this month or, you know, this year that, that it's enough, you know, but it's such a long game. It's such a long, long game. And every win is not enough. Every win is not everything, you know, like having for instance having barack obama as president in the states that doesn't solve every african-american problem but it is a step in the right direction you know what i mean or gives every people
1: hope it gives it other people... people hope and it's and, just and the this... hope...
0: yeah there's always going to be a first you know the first well,
1: i think as well is that planting that seed of hope can can flourish and grow so many others you know if, if there's one african-american man who can be the president maybe 10 in the future, can think that they can be the president. You know, you right. know, we we got Brother Kanye at the moment. Um, and I'm, not <laughs> sure, I'm not sure how that's going down.
0: Um, you know, it's not going well. And that begs the well, question: Does it even matter? Like, like just because you have a you know a certain person of a certain background in a certain position, yes, it gives hope. But if that person is is shit, he's well, not the right person. <laughs> not the right person.
1: Now, now, I, you know, I've got, I've got to have a bit of a disclaimer here. I, I think that, I think that Kanye is not well.
0: Yeah. Like someone yeah, who's someone
1: right. who's in the, in the mental health field and someone who's got bipolar disorder, as he does as well. I seen a hell of a lot of me in him the other day when he was, you know, and and my ex wife rang me as well. <laughs> she said, "Oh my God, this is Joe Williams ten years ago." <laughs> yeah.
0: So. Um, oh.
1: Yeah, like I, I get it, and I feel for the guy because
0: yeah, you're, you're right, man. You're right. We shouldn't be making fun of him, it is actually serious. He, he does. I mean, it's obvious. I don't he think really he's does. well.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't, well. I don't think he's well. And and the the, the issue is, is that there's he's, he's in a place of power that that. I don't know if it's not letting anyone get close to him or, or, or the people around him are too scared to pull him up on things. But yeah, when, when you've when got power, school, you not. can
0: surround yourself with people that will just nod and agree with you. Yeah, you know what I mean? And, and then who do you really trust to hold you accountable? And, and yeah, he's got the world at his feet. He can do what he wants and, and millions of followers and a lot of money. And, and yeah, it's a, danger, it's a dangerous combination, actually. And it's dangerous even for the people that are going to put their hopes in him or... You know that that do listen to some of the kind of pseudo facts that he spits, and it can be, um, yeah, it can be dangerous. It's definitely. I mean, I, I America, so. the United States, is just imploding in my in my perspective, and he is just, you know, although he has his personal issues, he is also, you know, a symptom product. of such a massive, a product.
1: yeah, yeah, a product breakfast. of something bigger. Oh, so much bigger, yeah. and there's so many of them. You know, unfortunately, that uh, you know there's, there's so many people that aren't well around the world that are playing out in behaviours that, that everyone judges them for.
0: Yeah, and that brings us to the next conversation, I guess, which is you've already touched on it a bit, but about like um, online cancelling, cancelling people's careers and cancelling people for having done this or done that. Um, how did you deal with all that hate? That you got online for not standing for the national ovation, man. Did you just switch off? You just like I'm off socials for a while, or did you? How did you deal with that?
1: No, nah, look, you know, I, I, it drained me a hell of a lot. I won't lie, um, and it gave me some good tools for for, for times of now. You know, so um, a close friend of mine he said he said to me, "Why do you respond to people? Why do you respond to everyone? Because it's just." It's just draining your spirit," he said. "Brother, you've got a platform now. Start the argument and let the followers take it up for you. You don't need to engage in these people that have got, you know, bot accounts and 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 trolled accounts. That they're just, you know, all they're doing is trying to get under your skin. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't need to do that.
0: Yeah. And so you so
1: stop. So for me now, yeah, I just I don't engage you know, like I've, I've got, I've got my personal, personal pages. I deleted my Facebook. Um, you know, I've got, uh, I'm lucky enough that, that I've got a team around me that they can control some of the business stuff that I do on my social media accounts. Um,
0: mm.
1: you know, and it's, it's, it can be a dangerous place. Yeah. Um, and again, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I keep my spirit safe. Um, before I do anything, you know, with, yeah. you know, when they, when I'm when I'm starting to get trolled, all that sort of stuff, you know, and these people, I wouldn't know them if I walked past them in the street, and they wouldn't have, you know, the, the courage to say it to me in the street. And if they did yeah. have the courage to say it to me in the street, I'd be happy to have a conversation with them. Um, yeah. That's the sort of person I am. I'm I'm not an aggressive person. At the end of the day, um, I'm okay if people disagree with me. I just agree to disagree with people. Yeah. For me, I, I, I don't, arguments, I think are a place of ego, um, mm. you know, because, you know, when we have an argument with someone and, and we're trying to push our opinion down their throat more than their opinion and mm. our opinion means more than their opinion, then that's coming from a place of ego. Mm. So at the end of the day, I've just got an opinion. And if people yeah. disagree with those opinions, then I'm cool with that because it's yeah. mine.
0: Man, it's a really important way of looking at things because I remember in, um, in Greece, actually, uh, about five or six years ago, a neo Nazi party kind of raised its head in Greece and became the third most popular political party in Greece called Golden Dawn. They're a neo Nazi party. And they got into parliament, like they were making decisions. They were like, they we've were doing of those in,
1: We've got one of those in parliament now, don't we?
0: <laughs> I think we've got a few. Um, and, and so when they got in this, this really um, uh, bright, uh, kind of, is um, the finance minister, he was at the time, um, Yanis Varoufakis, a really, a really famous, smart, left leaning, uh, incredible dude. He he was answering calls. People were saying, we need to kick them out. We need to shut them down. We need to stop their voices from being heard. We need to ignore them in parliament. We need to, you know, like cancel this neo-Nazi party. And he was like, you know what? I, un- I fully understand the idea behind that, but actually what is more powerful is to let them sit there and to argue against them with clarity in publicly in the midst of a democracy and show the world, show the rest of Greece, just how stupid their ideas are, just how unfounded their, their theories are, and just how impossible their ideas are in terms of how to run a country. And eventually that's what happened. It took a while, it took like five years, but now they don't have any power in the government anymore. They basically shut up shop. They don't exist anymore as a political party. And they're, they've gone; they're kind of disappearing. So it took five years, but but it was it was a public debate that made it work, that made them shut down. If you just push them down and try and silence them, they obviously get bigger because they think that that's they've got some power over you because you can't even listen to them. And I know that that's people don't want to hear that when it comes to people like um, uh, Andrew Bolt and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to argue with these people publicly and show them that they're fucking idiots. I know that there's a limit to that. You know, like if they're just going to get up, if, if what's her name, if um, Pauline Hans is just going to get up and act like a complete fool, like she did on, on the today show or whatever it was recently, I agree that there's a limit, you know what I mean? Like they can't just get on and be complete, you know, basically just over racist all day and all night. That's that's not an argument. That's just being prejudiced 24-7. But if they think that they have these really smart arguments of shutting people down, of stopping immigration, of stopping the refugees, of, you know, all this maltreatment of people and that it's a legitimate political ideology, then come and have the conversation with us and we'll have the argument with you until it's done, until everybody realises that it's a load of shit. See, the, the
1: thing is, I- I've always been taught and told, and this is why racism. Uh, I have a different perspective on racism, and you know, and it come from some education from my dad. Um, I got into a fight at a young age at school, um, and you know, uh, being a boxer later on in my life, I, I could handle myself as a, as a young fellow all right. Um, and when I come home, I got suspended from school, and Dad said, "What happened at school today?" I said, "I got suspended." He said, "Why?" I said, "Because a, a guy called me a black cunt," and you know. Got in a punch up, he goes, All right. Um, I want to ask you some some really important questions. He said, Firstly, did you win? And I was like, You know, <laughs> the most important question, right, like dad? Um, and, and, and he goes, now, was... <laughs> I said, I did all right. Um, <laughs> I did all right, <laughs> and um, and then he said, He goes, Now I want to ask you the most important question What color are you? And I said, And I thought my dad would have my back 100% on this, right? Because racism isn't acceptable on any measure.
0: Hmm.
1: And he said, what color are you? And I said, I'm black. And he said, ah, so you belted a kid for telling the truth. Hmm. And it really hit me. And because that that wasn't what I expected from him. He said, be more disappointed if they don't call you black. He said, be more upset if they call you otherwise. Hmm. He said, but... You've got to learn one thing you'll never ever beat racism with violence, you'll only ever beat racism with intelligence and facts. So, from then on, racism has affected me because if somebody calls me, if some I, I take racism literal, right? So, if somebody calls me a black CUNT, well, yes, I am black, I'll be offended that they call me otherwise a CUNT, right? Or if somebody calls me you know, I, I get when some people get called a you know, a black dog. Well, one, I am black, yes, but I'm not a dog. You know, so I, I, I take things like that very literal. Um so so it doesn't it doesn't affect me. Um and I get if that. someone calls
0: you an asshole, you're just like, What do you
1: I'm just about? like, Well, <laughs> I'm actually not.
0: I have one but uh yeah, I'm it, much right?
1: more than that <laughs> that's that's, how, that's literally how i've trained myself that's how i've trained myself to come up against this sort of stuff nice. people are like you know you're you're an ABO doll bludger well i'm aboriginal and i work more than most people i'm on the road 300 plus days in the year away from my family and i'm out there wiping the tears of kids eyes you know like I I have a job and I have a significant job, you know, like like
0: and it just it just and you're just like super confused.
1: Well, no, I'm not. They are, you know. Yeah, no, but I'm
0: just I just mean you're like, hmm, you're just like, no, that doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't hold true. Okay, I'm gonna keep moving. And one thing
1: with 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 racists, there I think it's, it's it's well known that people who are racist aren't very smart. So I would rather instead of building them with with, with physical attacks, I would mm. rather expose their lack of intelligence.
0: Well, this is the other question I need to ask you then. Some people say that racism is in fact a, a form of a mental illness, that it doesn't actually make sense. And so because it doesn't make sense, it must stem from some kind of ill health or idea of instability or need to push others down in order to, to, is that need, I guess, it's even though it's so common in the world today, is that need to push people down in order to feel better is, does that stem from mental ill health?
1: White supremacy is a thinking disorder without doubt. (laughs) They just think wrong, you know, to to think that you are above someone based on color or, or ethnicity is just like wrong, you know? So, um, And is that across the
0: board? Do you think that's the same for every, that should just be extrapolated for every culture in the world that none of us should be like, oh, we are, because like, there's so many Greeks that are like, oh, the Greeks invented this and that. And they think they're heads up shit.
1: (laughs) The thing is, right. And again, it it all comes down to ego, doesn't it? And and what people Um, don't understand, what people don't understand is that racism is based on power, based on numbers, you know, discrimination and, you know, prejudice aren't, they're, you know, they're about being prejudiced against, you know, a, a majority race or a majority numbered race. But that's why I, I laugh at the whole concept of reverse racism. Again, people showing their lack of intelligence. You know, when you are actually, you know, educated around these topics, you just laugh at them, yeah.
0: you know. I think it's a really important discussion because that people don't realize that all cultures, all people, all human beings have the propensity to be prejudiced. We can all be prejudiced, whether we're, you know, oppressed or not, whether we're rich, whether we're in power or we're not in power. We have, we have the propensity to be prejudiced against each other, depending on, you know, ageism, sexism, racism, whatever it might be, classism. But that doesn't, if it doesn't coincide with power, then it doesn't equal racism. That's basically what you're saying, that that prejudice, if it doesn't coincide with social power, with majority rule or with, you know, yeah. whatever it is, then it doesn't equate to, to racism because it doesn't hold the power. It doesn't. I could call a white person a name and that would be prejudice, but it doesn't stop them from getting a job tomorrow. So therefore, it's That's not racism.
1: Exactly. You look at you look at, you know, a, a predominantly black country and you put a minority white person in there. It's the, then it's the opposite, right? Then it's racism because it's based on power and numbers again.
0: Hmm. Okay. But the opposite scale. Yeah. The, the only we, thing I worry about that is that I see sometimes in my, in the Greek community that people can be, or in many communities, I guess, people can be assholes to people of other cultures yeah. using this as an excuse. It's, it's all right. I can't be racist. It's impossible for me to be racist. So I'm just going to call you whatever name I want. I'm going to treat you like shit. Like but that yeah, to me is still prejudice, prejudice, prejudice still sucks. Wrong. Yeah. It's still right. wrong. You know, like, like,
1: exactly. it, it is still wrong. It is still uncalled for. And it is still, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, So, you know, can you tie those three together? You know, there's an argument for tying those three together, but again, um, two, are, aren't based on, on majority power and based numbers when it comes to, um, you know, things like colorism and, and stuff like that, you know, hmm
0: yeah, and there's just so much to be said. I mean, any elders that I've spoken to of whatever background they might be, they all seem to come back to compassion. They all seem to come back to, you know what, like, fuck all this shit. <laughs> you know I mean? like All this all this, you know, arguing about who's allowed to be prejudiced, who's not, who, you know, it's just like, I'm going to take every individual I meet on face value. Oh, let's
1: just treat people well. Treat people you know, like, well. What is, what is so hard about that? And again, it comes back to what I call genetic conditioning, right, is that the first people who got off the boats in Australia genuinely were thought and told that they were above the black race. So they taught their kids that, and then they taught their kids that, and then slavery happened, and they taught their kids that, and then what they see is what they do, and then they teach their kids that, and then this is where we are, right? So it is genetically imprinted to believe that they are above people of color. You know, I don't blame people for that. I empathize with people that they are born into a system that affects their brain like that.
0: Yeah. And, and also in this moment of awakening, although I would like to hold every individual to account that they should have educated themselves by now when it is intergenerational, just like the trauma that they cause is intergenerational. So is the racism that caused it intergenerational.
1: That's why I call it genetic conditioning. Right? It
0: takes generations to undo.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's genetically conditioned into people. All right. So again, Whilst we may not have a choice in the things that we inherit, we definitely have a choice in the choices and decisions that we make now.
0: 100%. You know,
1: and 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 what that is doing is then retraining the genetics, and hopefully putting a, a, a positive spin on the conditioning moving forward. Me with alcoholism, you know, mm. I, I my kids have never seen me drink. You know, so I'm 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 having that. That's I'm awesome. doing the best I can to normalize not drinking yeah rather than the other way
0: right and so and through that every generation is healed every generation heals a little bit more every generation is hopefully less racist less reliant on toxicity less reliant on prejudice to make themselves feel good more educated more healthy and and that way and, and in many ways this is the ultimate form of activism in many ways i find yeah. There's, there's many forms to be activist and, and I don't think that any of them should be diminished or, or put above others like I, I think they're all valid. But I do think that there's there's one way of living that is in, is is a way of living that leads towards more healing. And this, it kind of cuts off the toxicity or the racism kind of at the root, it cuts off the social problems at the root before they even happen. I feel like so much of the violence and viciousness that comes out in our society today, comes out because those people that are being vicious were also treated viciously as children yeah. or were abused as children or grew up with alcoholic parents or whatever whatever it is. It can come from so many different angles and so many different ways. And I don't have kids yet, but I would, I would imagine that being a good father or mother, parent, grandparent is one of the best ways of moving towards a better world like in social change. Like that is such a long term uh long game form of activism, right? Raising yeah. level headed, healthy young human beings.
1: Against the grain. Against
0: right? the grain. So, Against so, everything else that they're being yeah. taught.
1: So so for me, I've been conditioned a certain way too. And that, you know, there's some there's some elements of that, that aren't that aren't positive. Yeah. Right? So for me, but I, I've got to make active changes and conscious changes that I've Difference. got to be aware of to mm. to implement that in my everyday learning. Um, and, you know, as I say, hurt people hurt people. Mm. But when we do our own work and bring some self-awareness to the healing of what we need to do, we, as you said, we, we can change the trajectory of the generations to come. You know, and for me, there's one. There's one thing that that is easy to say but often hard to do, is show more love than hate. Because there's only there's only two things in our heart, right? Love and hate. Okay, and when you get the pendulum of which one weighs more, that's what that's what your, your behavior is going to look like, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have more love in your heart, and in your body, in your soul, in your spirit that's when you'll have more empathy and more understanding and more caring and nurturing natures. But if you have more hate, then you're going to have more toxicity and, you know, the... the the Drama. The, yeah, drama, violence, you know, uh, emotional, verbal, physical violence, you know, like it's, that's what it comes down to. I believe it comes down to you. you have either more love in your heart or more hate in your heart. And, and that will play out through the behaviors that you carry on with every single day. So if you're carrying out with negative behaviors or negative behaviors are following you, it's time to have a look at yourself and, and see what it is in your heart and how you're judging and, and viewing people. So,
0: How hard is that when you've been born into a situation where the toxicity is around you? with a, you know it's it's your family members sometimes it's your friends it's the people that you love it's the people that you've grown up with it's the way you've been taught um and especially in communities and i know within the greek community where family is so important it's it can be so hard to say goodbye to that or to take time from that or to or to be positive in the midst of a shitstorm. you know what i mean like how does that how have you experienced that or have you experienced that and how does it you only
1: have to it's look at my alcoholism, the alcoholism and, and and the nature of of, uh, of uh, accepted behaviours in in community, right? Um, Normalised behaviours in community, and and for me, um, when I gave up the drink, I I made a conscious effort to give up the drink and anything or anyone that would put me into that situation. So that meant I lost friends, I lost family. That meant. But but I had to had to, I I had to weigh up what what was more important. What's more important? Um, the behaviours that I'm showing when I'm drinking and taking drugs, which are negative and toxic and and at times you know really really uh, destructive. Or do I want better? You know, and 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 it comes down to how much do you want it? Do you want it a little bit, or do you want it a lot? Yeah. Um, and for me, as I said, you know. I wouldn't turn up to parties. You know, there were, you know, wakes at funerals that I would go to the funeral, not go to the wake because, you know, again, normalized behaviors at these sort of places. Uh, um, and then responsibilities around, you know, being accepted and, and responsibilities around behaviors in, you know, community and stuff like that. So I made that decision that I wouldn't do that uh, because I, I wanted a better life because it was destructive for me um, and, it was turning me into a person that I didn't want to be, um, mm. because I wanted better, not just for me, but for the generations of me to come. Um, so for me, I now almost 15 years sober, can share that experience with so many other people because so good.
0: Um, and, so, again, and you I must be just getting so much more shit done, and just thinking so much clear, more clearly means making way less mistakes and. Way less regret and, and well, so much clearly, more productivity. Yeah.
1: Thinking clearly, yes, but not. You know, I'm not saving more money because you always find other vices. You know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm eating more shit food than ever. And, you know, I'm not. I'm not putting rubbish alcohol into my body, but I'm eating more lollies. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Well, you I say that it. a lot
0: of alcohol addiction is a sugar addiction because there is so yeah. much sugar in in it, yeah. and and what and you drink it with coke and drink it with other things that makes it. It's so it's,
1: you know, it's, it's, for me, it's about just making better decisions and, and just constantly trying to be a better person. You know, I, I'm not perfect and I'll never be you, perfect. Man. Never be perfect. I've made you know, decisions that have, that have put me in compromising positions in my past and there may be uh, issues and decisions that I make like that in my future. I, I won't ever profess to be perfect, but I will profess to do the best I can in each situation.
0: Totally. And to just wake up every morning and go, all right, how can I better myself just a little bit today? What can I learn today? How can I be good to other people today? What am I working on these days? You know, like just this way of life that is just, I'm facing myself in the mirror every day. And it's not not out of some kind of masochistic kind of like, you know, self-hate where it's like, I need to change myself because I hate who I am. It's like, it's out of self-love and the knowledge that you can be better at the same time.
1: What's oh, the want for you, it can be better. And then you just ask yourself, how much do you want it? Do you want it a lot or do you want to hang a little bit? You yeah. know, and then and then, and then, you'll make your decisions according.
0: Totally. I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for taking the time to hang and, and chat and spend always time. Always a pleasure,
1: brother. Always a, a pleasure. Uh, yeah, in, insightful conversations and uh, deep conversations always challenge my thinking. You know, which is you know we can go through this world and, and be autonomous just with the world and have the conversations that everyone has. Yeah. But you know, when we meet someone and connect with people that challenge our perspective and point of view, I think that's where there's growth.
0: Totally. Um,
1: and for me, I love having these deeper intellectual conversations because you know it always brings out you always got to be sharp when you think, when you when you're talking to a smart dude, man. You always got to be on. Yeah, man. And
0: that's good. <laughs> my, dad, that my
1: dad said to someone recently, right? My dad said to someone recently, because, you know, I'll, I'll back myself. You know, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm a kid who didn't pass a single subject at school except music. All right. Um, but I know that I'm a smart dude when it yeah. comes to talking. And I know that I'm informed because I do my work. Yeah. Right? Um, and my dad, somebody said to dad, how do you connect with Joe? You know, what's the best way to connect with Joe? You know, what's the best things you can talk about? My dad said, don't go up and try and talk in long words and sound smart to Joe. Because Joe's defense will come up straight away and he knows that he has to be on. You don't want him on, because he'll beat you. <laughs> dad said, just go up and talk about footy or shape up to him with
0: boxing, it's you know? The consp- his- it's the competitive break spirit.
1: Yeah. Break his wall down straight away. And-
0: <laughs> well, I, I almost got, started got this... Him. I almost started this whole conversation with asking you whether you're a UFC fan. I'm not, I'm
1: not, no. uh, nah, I, I love the art of boxing, you know, being yeah. mean? an ex boxer. I love the art of boxing. Um, for me, UFC is a little too brutal for me. It sounds funny yeah. coming from an ex boxer, yeah. but for me, it's, I, I love the art. Um, and the, the athleticism of all combat sport, but I love the art form of, of boxing.
0: Yeah. I love UFC until the point the guy's on the ground stiff.
1: Well, when <laughs> they stiff and can still jump And on then them they
0: them keep hitting again. and they oh. keep jumping on them. Then I'm like, oh, man, I hate this sport. <laughs> man, <someone laughs> but with a brain, everything someone, up until that point, I'm into it.
1: <laughs> so for me, as someone with a brain injury that, you know, struggles to remember yesterday, that just triggers me massively yeah. because I yeah. know the impacts it's doing to the brain.
0: Yeah, that's crazy, man yeah it's it's becoming a huge especially in this covid time it's becoming a huge sport and it's overtaking a lot of different sports and it's even overtaking boxing in many ways because boxing can't seem to get their act together to have something that unified and constant and regular um and so yeah many people are getting into it i'm sure there's many younger generations that are that are now looking to it as their path but yeah i do worry about that um about that part of it, how, how brutal it can be and, and the lack of protection around that.
1: The best protection is to get your head out of the road. Best protection
0: talk- <laughs> is to not get in the ring. not
1: get hit. <laughs> Thanks always, brother. Thanks, right. brother.
0: Appreciate you, man.
1: You take it easy, man.
0: You too, man. Peace. Stereo before they lock you in their stereotypes speak words so deep they're like burial rites, write lines that unite every side of the fight so when you speak all they get is your stereo type i don't care as much about your lyrics as i care about your spirits our words are just vessels to help our souls grow coherent that's why plastic conversations just keep people in their places. Boxes and cages staying locked in a maze. These days, someone's raised eyebrow suspicion can draw a straight line to a conviction. A country so conditioned those most judged by skin color and appearance end up filling up our prisons. And we're pissed off when a shock jock gets paid just to be a bigot. But our taxes have been paying for the same shit since the beginning. They pigeonhole us into body types, traditional dress, sexual preference, or exotic sound bites. And they use every single media stereotype to amplify their agendas as the political stereo mic. So we're stuck in the battle of the headlines. On the war of the magazine shelf, they've taught us to see each other as caricatures of our real selves. From the Cronulla riots to the Herald, Channel 7 and the whole cartel, the media mafias making sure News Corp gets the sell. But the full complexity of our lives just doesn't fit in their headlines. So they need bite-sized pieces of our bodies to feed on between dinner and bedtime. So when we see each other on the street, those headlines and our headsets become headnotes, become death stares, become death threats, become the next steps towards our best friend's next becoming breathless See. To divide and conquer, they need a clear set of enemies Falsified identities combined with our short-term memories They poison our communities to keep us preoccupied So while we're fighting each other, more land gets occupied More services are cut, another jail gets up Another open cup mine, another refugee gets stuck That's why we need to take back the narrative Redefine their adjectives. Speak our own languages. Keep our identities multifaceted. Don't simplify it for their arrogance. You are not all savages. You are not all parodies to be used as their front page embarrassments. So before they lock you in a stereotype, speak words so deep they're like burial rights. Write lines that unite every side of the fire so when we speak, All they get is our stereo type.